Amen to that reality. It's good to have that reminder this morning. Thank you guys for the, uh, those truths uh, musically uh, presented to us uh, to remind us of the presence of our Lord no matter what we're enduring at any particular point in time. If you'll open your copy of scripture, I bet you know where we are. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're looking at verses 10 through 12 this morning. Matthew chapter 5. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' most famous uh, sermon, the Sermon on the Mount uh, from Matthew 5 uh, through Matthew 7. We're looking at the fifth chapter, verses 10 through 12 uh, this Lord's Day morning. The verses read as follows, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Be prepared to suffer. the title for these verses, from, at least for me. Um, there are beatitude people and there are non-beatitude people. The non-beatitude people have not recognized their spiritual poverty due to their sin. They love their sins rather than mourning over them. They are not meek but are arrogant. They do not have an appetite for righteousness but enjoy its opposite. The non-beatitude people are found intermingled in all of society, from the highest social strata to the lowest one. They are our neighbors, co-workers, family members, fellow students, etc. They dominate human life. There are more of them than there are of us. We were once non-beatitude people too. But we were rescued from this evil age by Christ who gave himself for our sins, as Galatians 1, 4 clearly articulates. Now, we're in the world, but we're not of it any longer. We're not longer on the part of the world system ruled by Satan. In fact, non-beatitude people, they are under the sway of Satan. They follow Satan. And that's the way we were before we were rescued. The non-beatitude people persecute the beatitude people. Three times in as many verses, Jesus uses the word persecute to make the point. You can see it there in verse 10, persecuted. Verse 11, persecute. Verse 12, persecuted the prophets. So that's the point. There will be persecution for those who are beatitude people. The persecution of God's people, it's not new. It has a long history in the world. In fact, it goes all the way back to the brothers Cain and Abel. Cain was of the evil one. Abel, according to Hebrews 11.4, was righteous. Cain murdered Abel the worst expression of persecution that there is. When Jesus talks about the persecution of his people here, he pronounces that those who suffer it 
are blessed. That's not what we'd expect necessarily. Most of us would wish for commiseration. We'd wish for Jesus to say something to buck us up and say, I'm sorry, but he says, you're blessed. Our first heading is suffering persecution, and that's what he is talking about. And Jesus did not say how sad it is to be persecuted. Nor did he say how unfortunate for those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. No, you see in the text, he's clear. He says, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. He says that we are favored of God when we are persecuted for righteousness. We are happy, blessed, we're happy. We're fortunate. We're the people who ought to consider ourselves blessed. Maybe Jesus is saying, have a blessed day. Because really, when you're persecuted for righteousness, you are blessed. Notice that Jesus repeats the word blessed in verse 11. He starts off, blessed are you when people, and he goes on with the rest of the verse there. This is Jesus' way of telling us that when we are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, we are double blessed. Double blessed. This is the divine perspective on our persecution. This is how God sees it. And it's how we ought to see it as well. When we are persecuted, I mentioned a moment ago, I'm going to say it again. Perhaps we could say when someone's being persecuted, come through and say, you've had a blessed day. You don't hear that from people, do you? It's because people don't think biblically. People have these little cliches that they stick on us and it's kind of religious. Have a blessed day. What are you talking about? You've had a blessed day when someone's persecuted you for righteousness sake. That's what Jesus says. And that is so counter what we think about as being blessed. We think about being blessed as something that's always in our favor, always something that's good, always something that makes us feel better. That's not the way Jesus sees it. He says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. We need to see it like him, double blessed. The divine perspective, beatitude people, The reason they are persecuted is they live out the Beatitudes. They exhibit Christ-like character. They live the way Christ instructs them. They are counter to society. They are counter to the culture. They are counter to the world system in the way that they live. Righteousness, by its very nature, is confrontational. It rebukes the unrighteous. It elicits hostility from the non-beatitude people. You, you don't have to say it or talk about who you are. You can just be who you are. And some people are bothered by that. I've told the story here many, many times. I'm going to tell it again. <laughs> Billy Graham was on the golf course. He was golfing. The, the time of uh, playing golf was over and a man who was 
golfing with Graham was not a believer. And he went in and he told a friend, had Billy Graham just shoved the gospel down my throat. The problem was Graham didn't say a word. What it was, Graham's life was convicting the unsaved man. Righteousness is confrontational. When we're righteous, people who are unrighteous, they don't like it because of their sinfulness, their animosity toward God, their hostility toward him, and it comes to us. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.12 these words, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This comes from a man who was stoned and left for dead for preaching the gospel. You will be persecuted. Further, understanding righteousness, when Jesus speaks of it, it's, it's a conformity internally and also externally to what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. When you, you live out the truths that are presented here in the Scripture of how to live from Jesus' lips and also in the rest of the New Testament, you will be practically righteous. It's being like our Heavenly Father, righteousness is. It is doing the will of the Father, not practicing lawlessness, but obeying Him. Those things make you righteous. Now, in this verse, verse 10, you'll notice something. It says, have been persecuted. In the original language, the words represent that uh, persecution is a fact of the past and present in the lives of the contemporary followers of Jesus. At that very point, the followers of Jesus already experienced persecution, and they will experience it in the future. And that will be the case with believers today. You're going to be persecuted. Persecution the word is defined as to run after, to pursue, to chase. In fact, if you think about it, the Apostle Paul, he was on his way to Damascus to round up some believers. And he was interrupted by the gracious Christ who changed his life. The word persecution came to have the connotation of physical persecution, harassment, and other unjust treatment. Now, let let me say something about this. We want to be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Not for other reasons. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher of the 20th century reminds us that Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted for being objectionable or difficult or because they're seriously lacking in wisdom, end of quote. The offense should come from the gospel and other aspects of the word of God that are meekly, generally taught by believers, not because the believer is personally offensive, It shouldn't be that they object to us because we're crude, we're rude, or we're mean in dealing with them. We're unkind, we're arrogant. It shouldn't be the reason they object to us. It ought to be simply because of 
whose we are and what we stand for, not because of our personal failings. You say, well, preacher, you say that. Do you have grounds for saying that? I sure do. In preparing his people or his disciples to proclaim the gospel of lost people, non-beatitude people, Jesus said some interesting words in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. He says to them, verse 16 of Matthew 10, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. The part I want you to see here, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Hmm. Let me just say a couple of things about what Jesus is saying. When you go out among uh, non-beatitude people, unsaved people, this is how you ought to conduct yourself. You ought to be um, shrewd as serpents. See, serpents symbolized wisdom and caution. That's why he said that. He says you also ought to be innocent as doves. It will be pure like them. They symbolize that. They symbolize harmlessness and gentleness. That's how we're to be among them when we go out, when we share, when we're at work, when we're around them. That is to be the way we are among them not objectionable but like that Colossians 4 verse 5 says this conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity we'll be wise skillful in our living around them outsiders or unbelievers making the most of the evangelistic opportunity May I just let us know that when our lives are conformed properly to the word of God, there will be an opportunity to share the gospel of God. When we have been the way Jesus wants, they may hate our gospel. Don't let them hate us because of our failings. Let's be wise. That we'll have opportunity to share the gospel with them. Now, back in our text here in verse 10, the clause that concludes verse 10, the bottom of the verse says, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The reason we're blessed when we suffer for the sake of righteousness is because it means the kingdom of heaven belongs to us. We're in the kingdom. We're in the realm of salvation where God rules over the hearts of the redeemed. We are no longer part of the world. I said the early part of this sermon. We're now in Christ's kingdom. The sphere, our uh, realm of salvation. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says this. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Profound transformation, profound change in our being, our status. We're no longer in the world. We're now in the kingdom of God's beloved son. It's 
where you are. You're in the kingdom. You're a Christian. You will be a persecutor because you're a kingdom person. You represent the values of heaven. You represent the values of Christ. The word of God is your guide. Christ is working in your heart and he's transforming you and you're sticking out. You stick out. You're like a sore thumb, we may say. You're not like everybody else. We're in the kingdom. Now, we're in the kingdom and we will receive the full benefits of being in Christ's kingdom when it is fully manifested in eternity. We're in the kingdom now, but later. In eternity, we will experience it in its fullness. When we're in the presence of our Savior. But make no mistake about it. We're in the kingdom right now. We move to verse 11. Jesus is not uh, giving us another beatitude. I hinted at this earlier when it says, blessed are you when people, and he goes on to, List the things. This is not another beatitude, but an expansion of the eighth and final beatitude. Our Lord delineates three kinds of uh, ways we will suffer persecution. So uh, be prepared. Get ready. This is coming. If you have not already experienced it, living for Christ, guess what? Some point down the road you will. First thing he says. You're blessed when people insult you. (laughs) Whoever thought of that? We don't consider being insulted being blessed. This is verbal abuse. The word insult is a term used here, and it means to reproach, to disparage, to mock, to verbally shame and revile you for your Christian commitment, for your commitment to Christ, for your godly lifestyle. They will do that to you. That's the reality. That they will do it. Now, um, first, Peter. I just thought of a text. I'm going to share it with you. Is that all right? I'm glad it is. I was going to do it anyway, but I thought I'd ask you. <laughs> First Peter 4. They don't understand us. First Peter 4, verse 3. Peter writes to the suffering saints scattered around the empire. And he says to them, In verse 3, for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. Gentiles there stands for unbelievers, non-beatitude people. The time has passed having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, verse 4, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they what? Malign you. Because you have been transformed by the grace of God, you're not doing 
what you used to do, you know, your running buddies can't understand that. Former running buddies. And they malign you. The way they, they speak evil of you. Now, I'm going to tell you another thing, if you will. If First uh, Peter, since we're there, verse 14, it says this. First Peter 4, connecting with our text over in uh, Matthew 5. Peter was there when Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> he heard it in full, and he zeroes in on what Jesus said on that occasion and applies it here in his words to the scattered saints in First Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, here are his words, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. For the name of Christ, representing Christ, and you're abused verbally. You're assaulted verbally. And you see the bottom of the verse, it says, the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. What those words mean is this. You have divine approbation or approval. Whenever sinners rebuke you for Christ or revile you for uh, uh, representing Christ, God says, guess what? You got my approval. I don't know about you, but I prefer to have God's approval than man's. I'd rather know that God is in heaven saying about what I've done for him, his son, Amen. Then they have the applause and the plaudits of men because I didn't speak up for Christ. Divine approbation. Because we stand firm for him. That's the deal. So the next time that happens to you, just remember God in heaven sees. And he approves of you. Now Luke chapter 6. 22 adds these words they will hate you and ostracize you and scorn your name as evil brothers and sisters may i say to you when you live for christ when you're obedient for christ you at some point you're going to experience this this is reality it never should be said Say you work somewhere and you go home and your wife or your husband says, how was it? And they say, well, they never would have guessed I was a Christian. Think about that. Really? Hmm. John chapter 15 may I say to y'all let me just speak to you from my heart right now it comes really from the word of God this is real Christianity there's a lot of Christianity in this nation uh, that's phony it's faux Christianity I I see celebrities I'm just going to say it I see celebrities claiming Christ but their lives are anything but Christ like they can talk about prayer, but it's always about what God can do for them uh, to help them. And there's, it's never about his kingdom, his glory, and his honor. 
It's phoniness. Do not be sucked into somebody who claims to be a Christian because they make some Christianese statement. Or they've been in church and they know how to phrase some things. That's some jargon. Don't be fooled by that. Because Jesus' words cut through all that nonsense. When you see what he says about what it means to be a follower of his, and you see what people think following him or being a Christian is, you say, oh, there's a great disconnect. Y'all with me? Now, John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, and when Jesus says if, he's not uh, expressing doubt. According to the Greek grammar, he is saying, uh, he's assuming the truth or the reality of the statement. You know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own its own things is what that means. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Bottom line. Oh, yeah, they can smile on your face. They'll talk about you like a dog behind it. They hate you. It's where that comes from. That's why they'll, as Luke says, ostracize you, separate you from their company. That's why they'll scorn your name as evil. In Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus continues. He says, there's that word again, persecute you. We've looked at it already. Then he continues, the third kind of persecution or suffering. And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. False accusations. They will slander you, defame your character. They will seek to do reputational damage to you. I remember some years ago, there was a, a pastor said about people in general, and he even said about some Christians, they will lie about you. He said, he said just make sure they're lying. <laughs> That's what the world will do. They will do that. There's a record of that in Christian history. False accusations against Christians. They've lied about us and they'll continue to lie about us. That's what the world does. The world's good at lying, right? If you haven't realized that, boy, I don't know where you've been. In church history, uh, believers were accused of cannibalism. They're accused of that because they're celebrating the Lord's Supper. You know, Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body and this is my blood. And they said, oh, they're a bunch of cannibals. Misunderstanding completely what Jesus was talking about, what Christians were doing. They accused Christians of incest. Because spouses called one another brother and sister. They call believers atheists. Because Christians rejected the gods of the Roman pantheon. So the lies went on. And lies go on now. And belittlement goes on even now. I've seen on television, I'm sure you have too, sitcoms where Christianity and Christians and our beliefs are belittled. Fodder for comedians' jokes. 
they take the name of Jesus in vain. They, they use it as a curse word. And when I've seen those things, heard those things, of course, it's revulsive. And I think you're going to have to answer for that. This is how the world is. That's what they'll do for us. Now, Jesus, notice it says here, uh, because of me, because of me. Righteousness is tantamount to devotion to Christ. Whenever we do what we do in, in righteousness, for the sake of righteousness, we're, it's equal to doing it for Jesus' sake. So suffering persecution. Living a beatitude life, you will suffer persecution. Responding to persecution. What do you do when it happens to you? Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. Somebody said, are you kidding me? Uh, no, Jesus didn't kid. Jesus teaches us how to respond to our suffering for him for our righteousness sake. There is no room whatsoever for retaliation. That is never on the table. Whenever you suffer for Christ, you're insulted or whatever the persecution is, you do not retaliate. I said it, it's not on the table, I'll say it like this, but what is on the table are two imperatives. Those words, rejoice and be glad, be glad, are imperatives, are commands. That is the... Testing. 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 Can you hear me now? All right, there we go. You can hear me now. Well, this, with the, you know, uh, perhaps you've seen those preachers when they put the mic in their hand. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> just, just want you to know. Okay, we're back online. We're back together. Sorry about the technical glitch. These things happen uh, with technology. We understand that. The world did not come to an end. Rejoice and be glad. Now, let me further explain what this means. That word glad means to exult, to be overjoyed. The literal meaning is to skip and jump with happy excitement. Wow. Are you serious? They've just insulted you. They've just persecuted you. And you're to skip and jump. You know how people are when they win something? something they've gotten some good news and they're pretty emotional and exuberant well that is the way we're to be when we're persecuted 
That's what being glad means. And I said already, it's, uh, it's an imperative or a command. To disobey this command is to sin. If we say, uh, when that happens, I ain't glad about this, I'm mad. You just sinned. We'd rejoice and be glad. Why would we do that? We trust it. First of all, it's not going to come to you if he didn't permit it. Second of all, when it happens to you, it just reinforces the reality that you're on the right team. So that's how we're to respond. Joy and gladness. See, I don't know if anybody can do that. I'm glad you said that. Let's see if anybody did. Go with me to the book of Acts. Says anybody anybody do that? See, Christianity is not a a theoretical matter. It is a real life matter. They wanted the apostles to shut their mouths and proclaim the gospel. But you know what the apostles did. They obeyed Jesus. They didn't shut up. Acts chapter 5, verse 40. Hear what happened to them. Gamaliel uh, gave a counsel as to what to do. They took his advice to Sanhedrin. And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council. You see that word? Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Let me expound here because you need to know this. Because you can read a text like this and say, oh, they were flogged. What does that mean? Let me tell you what it meant. It meant this. The flogging was 39 lashes on their backs. 39 lashes. They walked out of that meeting with their backs still raw and their rough garments rubbing against them painfully, their bleeding flesh at the slightest movement. You can just imagine what that's like. And what were they doing? Complaining? Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name for having the honor of suffering for their savior yes it can be done and it was done church history is littered with people who have suffered for the name of the savior not only flogged they've been put to death
They did what Jesus said to. Now, what does that mean for them and for us? Back in Matthew 5, it says this. For your reward in heaven is great. I love the reality that every time we suffer for righteousness' sake, suffer for Christ, God notes it. He has a record of it. There won't be any insult that comes to you for Christ that God forgets. He can't forget. Christ notes it. It's recorded. And when we get in his presence in heaven, guess what? We're going to be rewarded for it. You may have forgotten it. How you were cursed or belittled because of your commitment to Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't. And he's going to reward you. Let me say a few things about this. Persecution is not the final word. Heavenly reward is. The present and visible can be understood only in the light of the future and invisible. You need to have an eternal perspective. Too often people think only of time. Your life is but a vapor, is it not? It's here while it's gone. But your reward in heaven for your suffering is eternal. Think about it. You receive an eternal reward for temporal suffering. The world means it for evil. But God intends it for our good, right? That's how you look at suffering for righteousness sake. Not only that, when you do, you're in good company. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're in a long line of people who spoke the word of God, the Jewish prophets. And you read in the Old Testament how they punished them. They rejected the word of God through them. They even put Jeremiah in his cistern. They wanted to kill him. Even his own townsfolk wanted to kill him. Because he gave them the word of God told them the truth so when that happens to you guess what you're, you're in good company you're like an Elijah who was called the troubler of Israel but he wasn't the troubler of Israel he's a spokesman for God and Jeremiah and all the rest of the men of God who gave the word of God so Jesus saying by you being treated in the same way as they were, honor is being bestowed on you, a prophet's honor. Boy, that's wonderful news, isn't it? That's what uh, it means to suffer, and that's suffering as a Christian put into proper perspective. That, that needs to be in your mind. It needs to percolate there. You need to meditate on that. And live out the truths of the beatitude as you're doing that. Understand that. Keep it in mind. 
when it comes your way, what you've got waiting on you, a reward in heaven, and then the company that you're in, the company of the prophets. This, brothers and sisters, is real Christianity. Keep that in mind as you live for Christ. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we bless your name for the word of God this morning. We thank you for your truths hmm, that show us how we're to live for Christ and the possibilities that will come our way because we stand for him. May we take to heart the truths that we explored and live them out for your glory. Thank you for the privilege that is ours whenever we are defamed for Christ, dishonored for uh, righteousness' sake. Whatever comes our way because we follow him, help us to rejoice and be glad by the work of the Spirit in our hearts. Obey your word, knowing what you have in store for us. And We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.